Hey there, I'm Tatsu. And I'm Jeff. And this is Button Downs and Basketball Shorts. Where we buck the fear-based narrative and explore topics in a fun and unique way. All in service of personal growth. Welcome to Button Downs and Basketball Shorts, episode two. Uh, today's episode, uh, we're going to hear from Jeff and he's going to share his story because we think it's important for everyone to share your story, regardless of how you judge your story to be, oh, it's great enough to share it, or it's not good enough to share it, blah, 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 all of that nonsense comparison. But it's important for Jeff to share his story as well. We all want to hear it. So here we go. Um, so first, like, Jeff, take, take us back to like your childhood, man. Like, how, how was it growing up? And where'd you grow up and in, in all of that? Yeah. And, and thanks, Tatsu. I think it is important, especially for people who are listening to the podcast. I think it provides some context to kind of where we mm. came from and where we are now. A lot of times I'll listen to a podcast and it's great, but I don't, I have to like dumpster dive through some of the other podcasts to get to know who those people are. So I think yeah. we both said that was really important for us in the beginning mm. to label like, what is this thing and who we are, and then we can get rolling. So I think that's our intention here. Um, and I grew up in a, an amazing place in Santa Monica, California. Um, really had a, a blessed childhood. Uh, raised as the only child of two amazing parents. Um, corporate folks worked full-time jobs. I always joke with my mom that I thought uh, Ronald McDonald was an uncle. Um, because I, all I remember is daycare and fast food. Um, and if mom's listening, sorry, not sorry. Um, she did cook, she did cook, but that's all I remember as a kid. Um, so I, I saw a lot, I saw a lot of work ethic. I saw a lot of, uh, drive. Um, they definitely modeled, you know, working hard, uh, for sure and, uh, providing, and I remember like it was yesterday, my parents sat me down when I was six and they asked me, um, do you want to play sports on, on Saturday and Sunday? Do you want to go to synagogue? Do you want to go to church? And I had a limited you know, exposure to those things, but I knew what they were. And I just said sports. I loved sports growing up. My parents never mentioned it again. It actually wasn't until like I was 18 mentioning to them. So my world revolved around sports. So I pretty much only did homework so I could play sports. I only got good grades so I could play sports. Um, I that, just love that part. And that started around sixth grade when you started really playing sports? Six years old. Oh, six years old. Okay. Yeah, that was like yeah. when, my, when I was six, my parents asked me that. And I remember going to shoot baskets at daycare because that rule was the same. Like you go play outside if you finish your homework. Uh, cause my parents didn't pick me up till like six and I think school got out around three. So yeah, it was sports. Um, so very focused on, you know, a lot of the major sports like basketball and baseball and whatnot and tennis. Um, but that was the driver for me. Uh, when could I go play? What were the sports that like you were most drawn to? Basketball was my biggest. Uh, my parents did a good job of exposing me to a lot of the major sports, soccer, baseball, track, uh, basketball, of course, uh, tennis. Uh, since my dad loved tennis, tennis was there. Um, didn't want me to play football. Um, 
So that's what the exposure was, was basketball. I mean, basketball until I was probably 15 was my like main passion in the world. Watching basketball, you know, I admired a lot of sports figures. Um, and I don't know, something about like when I was on the basketball court that any of the other stuff didn't matter. And I could just play. And it was something I could do by myself. Uh, so, you know, I like just shooting. What, and what about like uh, life with like with friends? What was what was it? What was your group of friends like? Uh, it was awesome. I'm still friends with a good amount of them today. We all lived within a four to five block radius. Um, and actually, I grew up with one of my best friends living in the same uh, townhouse uh, condominium building. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, I was here in the back and I was in the front and we literally could walk 10 feet in the garage and we beat each other's garage doors. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we just went and played, uh, you know, still a little bit of the old school, like come back when it's dark. Uh, you, you could walk to school, you could bike to school. Um, so we had a lot of camaraderie around sports. They were all into sports. I was into sports and if it was dark or raining, we would play some video games. We were always socializing. My parents did a great job also of inviting lots of friends into the house. Uh, I never had siblings, but I had a lot of brothers um, that, you know, were adopted by the family. So uh, very generous uh, parents, always inviting folks on vacations with us, uh, probably just keep me happy. But also, that's something I also witnessed, like always willing to give, always generous with time and resources. Um, but yeah, my friends were awesome. We all we all kind of hung together, uh, got into mischief for sure. Um, but sports was definitely the thing that, that drove most of us. And and what, what kind of kid were you? What was your personality like? Oh, how could I, I was like a, a lawyer without any of the, uh, <laughs> without earning that title. I was very opinionated. I was definitely like, I would talk back to teachers and, uh, parents, uh, not actually, I was really nice to other people's parents. I was a little rough to the people who knew me. Um, but yeah, I remember <laughs> one of my babysitters, I would love to give him a hard time. And I like took her wallet. And I extorted her to pay me to give her her wallet back. Um, That was kind of a handful. Um, Probably a little manipulative. And uh, I remember constantly getting punished and then like talking my parents out of it. Um, And at some point, I was probably like 11 or 12. And there was pretty much like a military school threat. Basically, if you like mess up you're going to go to military school. I think mm. the biggest thing that I remember my mom and I always fighting about was like my, my attitude and, and how I said things. Mm. Uh, it took me a while to get, get over that. My dad, very little would make him mad, but my mom, Ooh, man, once you get her mad, it was game over. So like <laughs> there's definitely some sort of like chippiness ingrained in me that I just felt like I had to let the world know. Um, mm. So yeah, it was it was a challenge for for coaches and teachers to to get through that. But once they did, um, you know, I think it made a big difference for sure. Hmm. Then, uh, so take us through like junior high, high school. What was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, again, mostly sports. Um, I know junior high. I didn't really love school, so it was kind of constant battle to go to school. 
And then all of a sudden I kind of got the, the program, right? Like if you can go to school and get good grades, people leave you alone. They'll let you do more stuff, give you a little more leeway. So I kind of, that's middle school is where I learned how to play the game. Um, if it needs some support, I got tutors, right? If there was something I struggled with and tutors would help. And by help, I mean, they would do some of your assignments. So <laughs> yeah. yeah, I would learn a little bit, but I'd also make sure I got the assignment to a degree where I would be good. Um, and yeah, middle school was fun. Um, again, my, my, my guys I grew up with, I started befriending them in like first and second grade. So we kind of rolled through the same middle, same high school. Um, and yeah, middle school was fun. I, I was definitely, you know, experiencing like dating girls and, you know, seventh and eighth grade dances and all the awkwardness that, that comes in definitely some awkward times and like understanding what was happening. Um, and I just, every step I was, I always wanted to get to the next step. So I always wanted to get to high school, high school. I always wanted to get to college. I always wanted to like get to the next phase, um, quickly. Uh, I was a little impatient with where I was currently at. Where do you, where do you think the impatient, the impatience was coming from? I don't know. I remember my parents like always slowing me down. Like, Hey, it's okay. You'll get there when you get there. It probably was just like stuff I was watching or things I wanted to achieve. I always wanted to be a professional athlete. So I knew like I couldn't do that and be in school. So, um, I always wanted results, um, quickly. Um, yeah, like I said, like even back in elementary school, get the work done so you could go play, you know, it was always so you could go do something else. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't really notice like a lot of my friends kind of have the same competitive spirit and get what they need to do to go play. So it may have just been like a microculture of our friend group. Um, but yeah, like, yeah, I remember like running track and, and I, and in middle school, I was pretty fast. Um, I set like the mile record and I just wanted to run the mile fast so I could go play basketball. <laughs> like it wasn't to like run the mile fast. I didn't like track too much, but it was to go do something else. Mm -hmm. um, I was always looking at the next thing. Mm. And then, so there you are wreaking havoc in high school, junior high, high school, finding ways to get your schoolwork done without having to actually do it yourself and um, getting into mischief, um, playing sports, of course. And then, and then what's, what was the next phase like, like going into higher education and, and all of that. I think around like 16, I started to not love like the politics and the power dynamics of team basketball, the coaches. Uh, I found myself like understanding that, there were probably more talented guys on my team, mm -hmm. even though I worked harder and did the things I needed to do. And that's kind of what shifted me to tennis and playing my first tennis tournament in 16 and winning it and really changing the direction of my life and wanting to be a professional tennis player instead of a professional basketball player. And that took me on a whole another trajectory. So everything there was like, all right, how do I secure a scholarship? How do I stay there for a couple of years and then go pro? So it became very mechanical. Um, I remember my senior year, everyone was like hanging out, partying. And I would just go to school for four hours so I could go train somewhere else 
play tennis for four hours while they were still in school. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I secured my scholarship my junior year. So I didn't care at all about school, very minimal on socialization. Like I was like, let's just go. This is what I want to do. And everything else is a distraction. Um, I'd be in the gym at 4 a.m. my senior year. So I pretty much like blocked out that. And I was like, this is what I need to do. And I'm just going to go do it. Uh, again, focusing on the next thing, right? So right. all the things I was doing was to get me to that next thing. Um, and that's pretty much how it stayed through college. I stayed two years in college and then went to go play professional tennis. And it was all about the next thing and single-minded purpose. Um, I would have, I would date girls. I would, you know, have girlfriends and I would just tell them like, you know, while we can definitely date and all that, tennis is my number one priority. And I was pretty unapologetic about it. Um, maybe a little too much. Um, but yeah, and and I remember the, you know, sitting down, I transitioned from kind of like a junior coach to like, you know, a coach that could take me to that next level. In my first practice, I'm like losing it, throwing rackets, cussing them, all the things. <laughs> and he sat me down. He was like, hey, look, like you can't get emotional in tennis court. Um, most people can't, but you definitely cannot. Mm -hmm. So he's like, you're going to have to play this game like a poker player. You're going to have to like, you know, not get too high, not get too low. And at 16, I kind of like collapsed that with everything. So probably for the next 15 years from 16 to like probably close to 30, 31, I, uh, that's how I did it. You know, didn't get too high, didn't get too low, didn't let a lot of people in, didn't really, wasn't really in tune with my emotions, really pretty much robotic, get get it done. Very much in the doing of life, uh, specifically with sports and anything that fell in. So school, friends, girls, looking back, it was definitely more like transactional, not a lot of depth. Um, and I probably did that to protect myself in some way, shape or form, but I was just doing what I thought I needed to do to be the best tennis player I could be. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much the rest of my young adult and teenage life was through that lens. So to contain that, that wild side of you for so long when it was running free prior to that, right? Like, like looking back, how did it like shape you? How did it help shape you or how did it shape you? I was pretty disciplined. You know, I would, no matter if I like was in college and I went to a party the night before, I was still at the track early in the morning, getting mm -hmm. it done. Um, I didn't care about my feelings because I tried not to notice them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people were like, oh, I don't feel like doing homework or I don't feel like, you know, going to work out. Like that wasn't an option. Mm -hmm. um, there was a constant threat of like somebody somewhere is working harder than you. So I use that as fuel. Um, so I think from a professional standpoint, it helped. But from a relational standpoint, I could look back and be like, yeah, there's probably a reason I didn't keep in contact with those folks. There's probably a part of me that looked at it as a distraction. And I couldn't afford those distractions. Um, so while it definitely helped with focus and discipline, there was probably some negative consequences of like, well, that might have been when you started to lose some depth with the kids I grew up with. 
and almost like make myself somewhat unavailable to deep relationships with new folks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And to go from like, you chose basketball early on as your favorite sport. And then, then you go to a a solo sport, like tennis, right? How was that contrast for you? It was welcoming because I think like I wanted that. Like my personality, I think, is much more from a default standpoint, like just handle myself, Mm -hmm. me handle what I want to do. So I think on the team side, why it was nice to like bond with teammates and have friendships. Um, I didn't like the lack of control where an individual sport and mindset, at least on the onset, you can control more, right? Like you're one of one. So mm-hmm. if you don't go to practice, like that's on you. So a lot of things I could to control, obviously not necessarily outcomes, but a lot of the prep work, a lot of the daily grind was on me. And I like that. Um, over time though, it does put a lot of pressure uh, to hold, but I was up for that, especially I just didn't like the alternative um, of the team sports when I got in like, you know, my 16, 17 years, you know. So you're a tennis pro traveling the world, living how you live. Um, I've heard you know, you've, you've shared so many stories about it, like living on a budget and, and all that kind of stuff and um, just kind of living it up. Um, and then what happens after that? Well, uh, I'm not as good as I think. <laughs> so reality <laughs> hits, reality hits, uh, 30 plus weeks a year of traveling hits. It's a, it's a lonely road. Mm. So, you know, I went from, you know, always being with people and not knowing I didn't like to do stuff by myself to forcing myself to do that. And, you know, realizing like, Hey, like, Plan A is not going to work out. Mm. Um, and then figuring out what the heck is going to be plan B. Mm. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just trusting that I, you know, I would be able to figure it out. And, uh, you know, it's pretty simple. My parents promised that whenever I retire, it doesn't matter from the best or not the best, or if I have a long career or short career, you got to go back to school. So I knew I had to go back at some point, finish my degree. At that point, I needed to work because I was broke from not making any money on the tour. So I wanted to make money. So fortunately, I, I got some opportunities opened up for me just through the tennis industry. And I, you know, taught tennis. So from when I retired in my mid-20s for 10 years, I basically taught tennis, built myself up in that world. Uh, loved it. Uh, went back to school, got my undergrad business degree, got a graduate business degree, got married and had three kids. So it was a pretty concentrated 10 years. Um, but I, I still found myself not knowing what I wanted to do long term. I had seen a lot of coaches teach and, and be in their 50s. And that wasn't the life I wanted to, to have long term. And there wasn't a lot of time. Um, so the, the next thing was, what am I actually going to do with my life? Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what shifted me into being open to other things. And once you're open to other things, things open up. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, connected with a buddy who, uh, ironically, I was on the high school basketball team with, uh, Alex Terranova. Uh, probably some people know who are listening to this. So shout out to Big Al. <laughs> um, he went through a coach's training program. And at the same point, I was looking for what that next thing was. And I felt like there was no downside. Be a better person, husband, uh, father, friend. And I just didn't know. And that opened the door to me, you know, per, per, per personal development, professional development, and actually opening up the feelings, right? And actually saying, right. like, all right, at, you know, this age, you know, in my, like, almost mid-30s, it's okay. And that was cool, terrifying, but cool. And that opened up possibilities. And, and really, I've always been an entrepreneur at heart. And so that gave me the courage to start my own coaching business, want to help people, want to support people and uh, created like a new life for me. And really an extension of tennis coaching and running clubs was life and business coaching and really working with how people show up and running my own business. So it's kind of like the next level of what that was for me. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I always will and I always have bet on myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's almost like the more people tell me not to do it or I can't do it, the more I'm going to do it in spite of that. Um, so it was, a, it was a really interesting kind of roundabout progression uh, that has led me to this point now um, where I think my story is still being written. Um, but yeah, to to be able to say I, I wrote a book, you know, a few years ago mm -hmm. when I didn't read books at one point, you know, like that just wasn't mm -hmm. in my cards. So I think the, the ability to, to walk through some of the journey and look at it reflectively now, and I don't regret any of that. I think all those things were there to, to create the person I am now and mm -hmm. to set myself up for who I get to be in the future. But it's been a fun whirlwind. And I think, like you said earlier, like sharing your story, that's what connects us. If we don't speak, and sometimes I'm guilty of this, I'm not using my voice to the extent that I want, then we're depriving someone else of feeling like they can speak. Right. You know, it's, it's kind of selfish. You think it's being humble, but it's actually being selfish mm -hmm. or buying into the, you know, not good enough or worthy enough to share the story. So it's been cool to beat the work up. It's been cool to meet amazing people. I mean, you and I met in that coaching journey. Mm -hmm. So it's been fun, you know, and, and, uh, and I mean fun in the, the macro sense, it's been excruciatingly uncomfortable in the micro instances of some of this journey, but I think that's what makes it worthwhile. That's what makes it enjoyable at the end. Right. And, and please share what the, the title of your book is <laughs> yes. for everybody out there. It's uh, winning habits by Jeff Miller. It's available on Amazon. Um, and again, the, the key thing about the book for me, it's not my winning habits, um, cause I've only achieved in my mind, a fraction of what I will achieve, uh, both in the, you know, tangible and intangibles, but I got to be around some amazing athletes. I got to be around some amazing thought leaders and impact leaders and business leaders coaching in the country club world. And also in the, you know, life and business coaching world. So just gathering what, what they've seen, what, what has worked for them, what I've seen work for, for me that I've used. And it's just a, it's a, it's a habit guidebook, you know, and a, a resource. Um, it's super short. So for all the 
the, the non-readers like myself at one point, uh, <laughs> you can get through it pretty quickly. Awesome. For everyone who's checking out this episode, go out and get it. Where can we get it, Jeff? Amazon, Amazon.com. Just search Winning Habits by Jeff Miller. should pop up. It's right behind my shoulder over here in the red copy. Awesome. And so, like, what, what else are you up to right now? Like, what's, what's important for you these days? I think the biggest thing is intentionally slowing down, spending time with my family. Again, as you could probably tell, my habit is to do more. So my intentionality is around being more, doing less. Um, so really cherishing my, my kids, they got three small kids, eight, six, and four mm -hmm. and coaching their teams and helping them with schoolwork mm -hmm. and sharing experiences. And then, you know, on the coaching front is really ex experiencing and impacting people. And, uh, as many as I can, uh, that's one of the reasons I wrote the book. People might not be able to afford coaching or the timing might not be right for that totally get that. Well, they can pick that book up and then get a little dose of coaching. So speaking more, doing some more corporate training and workshops, and obviously, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching, uh, where you get to go in depth with people is kind of at the top of my frame right now. And you just recently, a few months ago, moved across the country from uh, Westlake Village to just south of Charlotte, North Carolina. Why'd you do that? <laughs> well, I think the biggest thing was adventure. Mm -hmm. And the second thing was I was too, too comfortable. Mm -hmm. So in the spirit of uh, really walking the walk, um, I want to try something new. And I wanted my kids to have a little bit more of that old school feel of walking to school, playing with the neighbors. And I love LA. Southern California will always be where I'm from. Uh, mm -hmm. Great place. But I just wanted something different. And so that brought us here. We have some friends who relocated here. We visited them, fell in love with them uh, in the area. And uh, we love it. And uh, creating new things. I love creating. So creating new networks and new opportunities. And we love it. Uh, definitely getting used to all the things that are really different. But we're embracing it. And we're uh, creating the change we want in our daily lives out here. Awesome. Um, and curious about like the, the emotional releasing journey or like understanding your emotions, like how's that going? You might be saying that question because, you know, I threw a water bottle in my kitchen this morning. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think there's definitely some element of like anger is not safe or, or shouldn't mm -hmm. be allowed. Um, mm -hmm. I get to practice breaking that up. And I think for me, it's uh, breaking up the automatic. I will just put my head down and keep going. I think there is value in keeping your head up and just taking stock of like, hey, is it serve me to keep going? Do mm -hmm. I need a break earlier? Do I need to go practice some anger on purpose? Um, so I'm learning that and relearning that time and time again. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, now I do some of those things for my kids and mm -hmm. I have to own that and explain where that came from and healthy ways to express anger and emotions um, because I, I want them to have that. So that's a constant daily challenge for me. Mm. And uh, that's something I'm obviously <laughs> from this morning working on in a healthy way. And even when it's not healthy, like it's okay. Um, 
quote unquote healthy, right? Um, putting down a little bit of the perfection or should be this way, should be that way. Um, it might be good for my kids to see dad mess up, own it. And, uh, you know, that could lead to some good lessons too. Mm, love it, man. That's beautiful, man. Um, as we wrap up, before we wrap up, uh, what's one uh, takeaway or one uh, like maybe action item or practice that you'd like to encourage uh, people to, to take on for the week? I think probably the biggest thing that looking back, the thing that kept me heading in the right direction um, and the thing that I go back to when I get stuck is choosing possibility. Mm. Um, it's a choice. Mm. And it's not logical. So removing yourself from probable and logical to possible mm. um, and constantly looking at where we do and we don't do that. Um, so maybe a practice this week would be notice where you choose possibility and notice where you don't. Mm. And, and then, you know, at some point, you know, really saying, well, what do I want to choose? Noticing what I am and what I'm not choosing. Um, and that's all areas, right? Friendship, relationship with self, others, business, uh, wellness, really looking at what's their relationship with possibility in that realm and then choosing possibility in spite of how things have gone. Right. Oh, awesome, man. Wisdom, wisdom right there. Um, so that'll wrap up episode two, just getting a, a general overview of what Jeff's about or where he's coming from. Um, we're going to hear a lot more from Jeff as we go on this podcast adventure, this show adventure. And um, I'm sure we're going to hear a lot more crazy, funny stories and deep stories from Jeff's past here. Uh, so thanks for checking us out and uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you for checking out this episode of Button Downs and Basketball Shorts. And if you got some value today, please subscribe and share, and we'll see you on the next one.